Well, the easiest way to increase your pleasure thresholds, that's quite a mouthful, so uh, is to do in solo practice. Um, <laughs> you're right? <laughs> um, so, and the reason for that is b- because you are experimenting and noting things without your partner being the collateral damage. <laughs> and then you can apply that in the, in, in the sexual play with your partner. Mm-hmm. And so the thing to do in any capacity threshold increase. Let's see how I can unpack this so this is valuable. Um, so pleasure by its very definition, is a sensation, right? And that sensation has physical aspects and emotional aspects, and sometimes mental aspects, right? So the the sensation of pleasure is a conglomerate of feeling things and feeling things in the body. So feeling things emotionally and feeling things in the body. And... uh, like with any sensation, um, we have caps on how much we allow ourselves to feel. Mm-hmm. And one thinks that we don't want to feel anger or sadness or depression or you know or discontent, and we would want to feel massive joy and aliveness and pleasure. But that's not actually true. Your, your cap is your cap is your cap, right? So meaning how much you allow yourself to feel is how much you allow yourself to feel. So you feel the same amount of pleasure as you feel anger, you, and so on and so on and so on. And so it's, a, it's like a band, you know, like it's like a, this wave. And if, if it's capped, it's capped on the heights and on the lows. So... When you know that, then you look at every sensation as a useful sensation to be intimate with for the sake of fuller capacity. And when we look at creating fuller capacity, um, we're looking at some of the things we've discussed already, which is relaxation, which increases your capacity. So you can hold more when you are more relaxed. Uh, Sensitization which gives you heightened insight into what's there. And then the third one is the capacity to stay with it, so staying power or um, willingness to be with it and not dissociate. And so within that context, you can look at pleasure and you can look at um, what happens when you hit the ceiling, right? So typically what happens when you hit the ceiling is your body's had enough. It's not used to more. Now, that not used to more can have um, reasons. One reason is you've never had enough of a workout, so to speak, right? That would be one. So meaning your body, mind, musculature, so to speak, um, isn't used to doing that long of a run, so to speak, right? Because if we would start running, let's say from here up that hill, some of us would do better than others. <laughs> I'm one of those who wouldn't do that well, I think, right? Because running is not my thing, 
Now, if something chases me, probably. <laughs> but other than that, I don't have a great capacity for running uphill. Right. And so if now my, the man of my dreams asks me to go for a run up the hill, my body will be the limit to the romantic hike up the hill or, or, or jogging up the hill, right? And now, of course, when that happens, my mind could go, ah, oh, fuck, I'm out of shape or I should be really a runner. Why am I not a runner? Why am I spending my day doing this? I could be a runner and then I could have that romantic stroll up the hill with this man of my dreams, right? But that's pretty useless. You'd probably go, damn, uh, he's a runner, I'm not a runner, he's not my guy, or he's a runner, I'm not a runner, let me start running. And then when you start running, you don't torture yourself by starting with a run up the hill. You take a walk, right? And then you build up stamina. And as you build up stamina and your body becomes used to the added pleasure, you can sustain pleasure for longer periods of time. So that's one aspect of the cap. The other aspect is previous bad um, instances, right? Some of us have more than that than others, but most of us have had sexual experiences that capped, uh, capped our uh, positive sexual uh, pleasure and expression, right? So that's something else to notice when you feel the shutoff based on not wanting to look slutty or not wanting to look a bit weird because you're drooling and your eyes are rolling back in your head or the light is on and you know you're not shaved or something like that, right? Like, like all the shit that starts happening that cap the pleasure in that domain, right? Or you've been rejected or somebody transgressed upon you and forced you to do something you didn't want to do. So there's, there's, that, that's a trauma cap, so to speak. So there is a bodily uh, workout training cap. There's a trauma cap. And then there is inexperience. Right? You've just never had that. And uh, your body isn't used to having that. So, for instance, a perfect example would be a G-spot orgasm or a cervical orgasm. If you're not used to having G-spot orgasms or cervical orgasms, um, you're, unless somebody's really, really skilled and you can stay with it past the embarrassment and you can stay with it past your bodily exhaustion, um, you will eventually get there. But there's a lot of factors against you, so to speak, at that point, right? Because you're not used to it. And, the, and, and pleasure particularly... Um, requires that you build pathways. So, for instance, there's all kinds of orgasms one can have with no touching whatsoever, right? Uh, or with touching in weird places or during oral sex or, you know, like all kinds of things that can happen to your body with non-genital stimulation. However, they have to be built, and then as they build and you, you, you work with them, they become stronger and stronger. And then at some point it just turns on and then it's available to you. So all of those are aspects of what we're talking about. Now, there's another one, and I'm not meaning to insult your partner here, but just for the sake of completion, some guys just really suck. <laughs> 
right, to varying degrees. So, so meaning sometimes you lay there, and the reason you're not feeling, you know, like you're getting bored is because he isn't doing it in a way that keeps you on your toes, right, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, no pun intended, mm-hmm. but, you know, meaning, meaning there is uh, arousal and, and the excitement um, also follows certain other psychological things. For, for instance, if you know exactly what a guy is going to do and how he's going to do it, you know, it's just like, okay, well, yeah, okay, yes, now I know what he's going to do then. And yeah, it's great. I mean, you know, you have the basic thing, but nowhere in there is the, the excitement and the newness of the situation. So at some point, you start making a shopping list or something, and then, then that's that, right? And then you feel bad, and he feels like you're not receiving him, and blah, 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 right? So that's another option. So that all said, um, simple way to look into that, that whole domain is you, um, let's say once a week, because you probably don't have that much time, do some kind of a solo practice that um, is pleasurable to you and sustainable, but you do it longer than you want to do it. Mm-hmm. So for instance, um, I don't know, an hour of continuous G-spot stimulation or something like that, right? Where you're like, <laughs> right? And, and you're just like, right? But, but you're sticking with it. And, and when you do that, there comes the boredom thing again. Yeah, exactly. There comes the boredom thing again where you're like, fuck me, or not fuck me, right? <laughs> so like, I'm not feeling anything, particularly with G-spot. It takes usually a while till you get warmed up and you have to have the right technique and it's like all very tedious to begin with. And then if you just happen to have the want in some way that you accidentally have a clitoral orgasm, you lose all interest, right? Because now you're done and then it's like, ah, oh, God, and so on and so on and so on, right? You all know what I'm talking about pretty much, right? So, so... You deal with all of that and you stick with it. You set a timer. Um, I have a piece of music that's exactly 64 minutes long. And so I put that piece of music on and I practice through the entire piece of music regardless of what happens. And then what that does is it first of all expands your capacity to stay with it because you're doing it yourself you have to you train yourself to stay with it because otherwise you'd stop right and within that you'll notice what's actually happening right is it you is it your body's inexperience is it external factors is it your partner is it trauma all of that will pop up when you are beyond your limit right and that's then the useful information. Then you can go, oh, okay. Orgasm number three, uh, I want to just pack it all in and pull it together because now we're in territory where I've never been. So I start clamping my body down and then it stops working, right? And then you go, okay, well, let me relax my body. Let me do a different posture. Let me work with my breath. Let me do some nonlinear, right? Like, and then you, you work on that or you go, oh, okay, 
um, every time I kind of really open, I suddenly have a flash of that last relationship and the pain it caused and I really opened myself. So then you feel that and you cry while you masturbate or whatever, right? And you scream and you shout and you swear and you put little daggers with your left hand while you, you know, into the, into the voodoo doll of your ex while you're still going with your wands, you know. Whatever it takes, you, you notice what are the factors and you dismantle them. Right. So that's how you build pleasure, pleasure capacity in an organized fashion. In a less uh, confronting and more global way, you can um, start um, incorporating sensual uh, awareness and engagement into your life every day where you make a concerted effort to have that cup of tea, to smell that um, orange uh, blossom, to uh, taste the chocolate, to listen to some music, where you enrich your senses so your senses are more available to you in the interaction. So that's that's a much longer process Um, and not as revealing as the, uh, you know, really go there with the thing. And then what what you can do at that point when you know where your things are, then in your engagement with your partner, you can start to discern what's what, right? And then it's a lot easier because then you'll know, okay, this is my body not being able to deal with anymore. So now it's time to relax a bit and say, hey, you know, back off for a moment. I, my, you know, or you can, or you see it's, you get triggered by some old stuff and then um, you have a few options, right? You can stop and deal with it in, with yourself. Uh, you can stop and uh, talk about it. Probably not so good, but, you know, I mean, it depends on the, the situation. Yeah. Or you can work with it by releasing it from your system, by moving in certain ways or, or having, you know, certain kind of built-in mechanisms where you can put that aside. Mm-hmm. And then also, if you notice that your partner is just doing something that's, you know, no longer doing it, you'll mix it up. Mm. Right. And that might be as simple as turning around or sitting up or moving your body differently or whatever, right? Or, or switching off and uh, pleasuring him for a bit till you are no longer so bored or whatever, right? Mm. I mean, it's two people and so you can guide things as much as he can, Mm -hmm. subtly or not so subtle. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter how good your discernment is, there is so many things that you don't even know about that you'll pick up because in sexual engagement, particularly in penetrative sexual engagement, you pick up all kinds of shit, you know, back to the beginning of time essentially, right? (laughs) That are not yours necessarily. They might not even be his. They might be his previous sexual partners or stuff from his mother's sexual past or whatever, right? Like there's all kinds of stuff that plays in and then you bring your partners to the occasion and so it's essentially an orgy uh you know a subtle body orgy an energetic there's lots of people in the room uh and so it becomes very unwieldy to discover in solo practice you can discover it and you can stop and you can start and you can make notes and um 
um, you know, it's not everybody's uh, whatever you want to say, cup of tea to do those things. Um, but I found for myself that when I would go on these explorations, it had really far-reaching effects on my entire life. Right? Because, of, like I said, your sexual capacity is also your capacity to deal with grief or deal with a difficult situation or deal with uh, you know, a difficult human because you're just so much wider. And so one of the things, um, you know, we talked a little bit on the first check-in, one of the things about the book I wrote and, and the things I teach, they're road-tested in pretty darn uh, difficult situations. I lost my teaching partner in a horrendous accident where I had to find him and then identify him and then cremate him and then drive his ashes to Canada and have him buried there with his mother, right, and his family. And... Um, and then with the house, right? So, so the, the things that made it so I lived through all of that and not only lived through all of that, but had the capacity to build that garden again and build the house again and continue teaching. We did our first teacher training uh, on the 15th of January. The house burned on the December 4th. Right? So that's a direct result of built capacity. Uh, and so when you do these explorations, you're not doing them just for your partner's sexual enjoyment or yours. You're doing them for your capacity to really, you know, go at it in the world in a way. Um, you know, bad things will happen and also really good things will happen. And you want to be able to have them both. We have tension patterns that cause arousal, right? So for particularly if you masturbate clitorally, if you do that, you'll notice that in order to have arousal, certain parts of your body will get tense, right? You ever notice that? And then you can feel your heartbeat speed up from the tension. And so that's your particular arousal pattern, that has a lot of tension and then that tension, 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 tension and then you have to release and that's how it goes. Most people when they start relaxing their tension pattern they no longer get as aroused. Right? This is also true for fantasy stuff of course but I'm just talking body. So for in instance one of the tension patterns that builds into arousal is how you learned how to masturbate or where I should say. Right, so um, this is, you know, this is uh, autobiographical. Um, I, for some bizarre reason, didn't want a bed uh, when I was like 13, 14, 15, whatever, in that age, right? So I had the sleeper sofa that uh, I had talked my parents into giving me. And so the sleeper sofa had, the way it was oriented, had like... Um, pillows on the right side, right? And then there was the mattress. So my arousal pattern involves my right leg being moved this way because there was a pillow that way. <laughs> so when I dismantled my arousal pattern, I noticed that in order that that, that, that was built in from the time I started masturbating. Right? So, and so people have these things that make no sense other than their habit and then 
that's what makes them, you know, climax. So in women, there's other ways of orgasm where you can bypass that stuff that are much uh, more interesting engagements with pleasure. In men, they don't have that many options, sadly, yeah. right? Which is very sad. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the having learned how to stimulate themselves and the tension patterns that come with it are very pronounced. I'm sure you've all seen that. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right? Yes. So, you know, the eyes go cross-eyed. I mean, there's all kinds of... Biz- the crow toes curl, you know, that's like this thing that happens. And uh, when, you, when a man starts working on the, 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 the fullness in the body and the, uh, not ejaculating immediately, what he works on is relaxing all those tension patterns and noticing them. So first noticing them and then relaxing them. And when that happens, eventually comes a moment when a guy sticks with it where he's so relaxed that he doesn't have to ejaculate. And at that point, um, the pleasure will travel through the body. And in, in yogic practices, of course, then there's things you do. You spin the chakras and all kinds of stuff. And you visualize stuff going up and down and the channels. But that's, that's a different story. Story and that's not useful for the everyday man, but it's relaxation. So how you would practice as a man is you would masturbate with that relaxation and notice what happens. So those are some of the, the things around capacity and pleasure. So you're with a man sexually, intimately, and you can feel past sexual partners and past stuff on him? Or is it more that he behaves towards you, not towards you, but it's some figment of his imagination? The way we, we are built is when we open our bodies, we open our heart, right? Mm-hmm. While men, that's not true, right? Mm-hmm. They can open their body. They don't open their bodies. That's why it's not, you know, <laughs> there's no, that, 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 when you look at it, right, there's no, there's no breach unless you're, you know, anally penetrating him. Then there's a breach, and that does something to men, right, in, uh, emotionally, uh, which is why, you know, in dominance and stuff like that, that kind of stuff can happen. But let's just say you're having regular penetrative sex. You have to open yourself. He doesn't. And so men tend to be much less um, attached and much less easily, uh, you know, uh, entangled with women. So what you usually feel is not his attachment to who came before, but her attachment to him that's still sticking, you know, to the to the subtle body, so to speak, right? So you have you have two options. Uh, the preferred option is uh, that if somebody was there before, so to speak, you push that something out by being more. That works really, really well, right? Because the nature of imprints is that the deepest or fullest imprint is the one that stays. When you are the fullest imprint, the previous imprint recedes. So um, that's a fairly easy one, meaning you just are 
bigger, more energetic, fuller than whatever you feel before then. And that will kind of wipe the slate, so to speak. And that's almost always true, um, both with men and women, right? That the deeper, fuller imprint erases the other ones. So that's one aspect, but for yourself, um, this is a bit hokey, so bear with me. It, 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 it isn't what it sounds like, but when you look at a man not as this man, but as an emissary of God, so meaning a deeper consciousness than this man maybe has, then, and you relate to God in that man, however you understand God, right? I'm not talking the religious way necessarily, but as that, that, that infinite being expressed as this man, then um, that stuff kind of falls away. So, so how that then feels is that you go, oh, there's all this guy's stuff and there's all the things that he brings in and there's all my stuff. But aside from that, there is us making love, right? In the bigger sense of the picture, um, the, the universe playing through a female and the male form, if you're with a man, right? The masculine and the feminine and both of you playing with the other and all of that, that's much, much bigger than that. And when you orient towards that, it has an interesting effect of eradicating all that me, 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 me. It's, it's one way to say, and, and she, 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 and he, 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 right? And it becomes a much bigger playing field. And in that playing field, uh, something really interesting happens where you dissolve that personal stuff. And then there's a transcendental quality, even though you might have hot, really hot sex. It's not that suddenly it's like, Ooh, you know, it's, it's still hot sex, but it's bigger than the two of you. And that takes everything else out. So the key would be to attend to this man, not as this man, because that's always small potatoes, so to speak, but invoke in that man the deepest, whatever you want to call it, God, and invoke in yourself the deepest aspect of you who wants to bring that out. And that uh, is a nice remedy. So You could also just sage him vigorously. <laughs> <laughs> There is a reason why there is certain rituals, right? Um, meaning, when you look at traditions all over the world that do smudging, for instance, right? Smudging is considered something that disrupts some of the stuff that gets stuck to us. And, um, you know, I mean, they can measure your electromagnetic field and stuff like that. It's not as esoteric as it sounds. And it's been shown that certain rituals alter information on the, in the epigenetic re realm and on the, um, yeah, I wouldn't say subtle body realm. So um, it's not a bad idea, which also feeds back into the orienting to something bigger than yourself. If you can, if, if that's possible, to do some ritual entering into the situation. And even if that's just that you 
uh, prepare your bedroom and prepare yourself in a way. He doesn't need to know about that. So it feels that he's, his stuff isn't welcome to come in here. That's totally doable, right? And you sage your room before then, or Palo Santo is a lot more pleasurable than sage as a smell, right? You, you do things to your body the way you, you know, hold your body and the way you are just doesn't allow some things. And that you can always do. Yeah. And then, of course, you can always smudge after. <laughs> Make it all go away, you know. There's, there's good reasons for all of those things. That you don't ever want to get too fruity about it, right? Because then it's useless, becomes a thing in its own right. But in its proper place, these things are very, very powerful. Well, you have to also be always very careful because in general, unless it's a female-to-female -female tradition there is a certain prejudice towards the female body and the female power and the female sexual thing. So it's not always true that just because you had sex with a lot of men, you know, that's a, it's just a spiritual version of slut-shaming, so to speak, right? There is truth to us picking stuff up. But that's always true. We pick stuff up positively, too. We all picked up stuff from each other by practicing with each other, right? And for everything negative that you might get from a man, there's also positive things. And also you can't be too precious about it because otherwise you, you can't engage at all. So the key isn't that you now you know, uh, prescribe to some other person's uh, pseudo-spiritual, somewhat puritanical view of how women are because... They don't have the same things for guys, right? I mean, men are not told they're impure if they fuck around in those traditions or any traditions for the most part, right? Unless you're a priest and then you should keep it to yourself. But, um, you know, there is, a, there is an understanding that when women do that, that's a bad thing. And now there is engagements that are not very good energetically. But so is taking a bus, Right? Also not very good energetically, or being on a plane, or whatever, right? So, so it's, it's no good applying those you know, principles, because what it does is it forces you to conform, and that's what these things are for. Now she's told, oh, she's impure if she has sex with many more men, you know, so now she needs to purify. Well, what does that mean? More hours in the ashram, more offerings to the whatever, more this, more that. And it, it becomes the, I'm not good as I am. Let me do things so I'm better. You could just be very practical and go, for instance, in a self-pleasure practice, who is still stuck in there and boot them out of your system, right? Through doing nonlinear formula release, uh, showering, washing, journaling, speaking to a therapist, saging, uh, you know, exercising, whatever you need, exercising and exercising, right? <laughs> yeah. And then, then next, right? It's one precious life, and how much of it do you want to think about things that potentially you did wrong? Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, 
anyone of you who has children knows that you can tell them all day long which mistakes they shouldn't make because you've made them and they're like, yeah, whatever. And then they'll make them and then they'll learn and hopefully they'll live. And that's what we do as humans. So you can't, you can't, you know. And my teacher, who was a woman, of course, and from a female lineage, had a very strong stance on that. She was very discerning in whom you combined yourself with. But she was also very clear on the fact that there are certain things you have to get out of your system or you will have cravings, right? And one of the things is that when you haven't dealt with your sexual stuff, you'll have cravings. And those cravings eventually down the road can get you into some really silly situations. So by all means, most women nowadays have had quite a bit of random sex, right? Some people have engaged in what one can only call sports fucking, right? And that doesn't make you a bad spiritual being. It's just what you had to do and then... You, you become sensitive to your body and you, you do what needs to be done so your body is optimally present for your life. And then you're actually empowered by yourself and not by a guru or a teacher. And I think that's really important. So, When you commit to a practice... Um, and I'll talk about practice in a moment. But when you commit to a practice, what you're committing to is that you are doing something regularly, right? Because that's why it's called practice. Um, you're not playing the piano if you've played once, you know. So in order to get good at anything in the body, which is why we did rounds over rounds over rounds, is because the body needs repetition to learn. And the... And without repetition, your learning is simply mental. And mental understanding of something does not translate into bodily fluidity, particularly not in the sexual relational realm. So uh, just because I've read every book about um, whatever, uh, sharpshooting, right, doesn't mean I'm a sharpshooter. <laughs> I'm an arm jockey sharpshooter. When somebody hands me then a gun or a bow or something like that, my body doesn't know what the hell it's doing. So practice is the, um, the willingness to learn something through repetition. So within practice, there's a few aspects. On So I told you why to practice, and now what we're looking at is what's the most effective practice, right? Most effective practice is a practice you actually do as my teacher always used to say. Right? Um, and with that said, um, you have to make your practice such that you actually can do it. So aspirational practice is useless. I will be dancing an hour a day for this next month. Right. Uh, you know, day three, it's done. But a minute a day you can probably do and you can always expand it from there. Right? So... Um, within practice, then what happens is you commit to something and you start doing it. And then, like you said, one thing that can show up is resistance to doing it that um, manifests in the form of I have too much to do, this sucks, it's not going anywhere, 
this is silly, I'm not good at this, I look ridiculous, whatever, right? And then you don't do it. Or you do it, and as you're doing it, your mind throws up all these things. One of the ways resistance in practice manifests is by suddenly you have to run to the bathroom, or it's of utmost importance that you tie your hair and fix your sweater up, right? Or you must drink water now. The other one is boredom, right? Oh, this is... I've done this before. Why am I doing this again? This is not going. You know, so that, and so that's the boredom I'm talking about that is usually the moment before a breakthrough. Now, if you're bored in your job, you could apply the same principle if you can't get out of your job. Right? So let's say you're in a job that pays you well and um, for a, whatever set of circumstances, it's not very likely you're going to change your job or the position within your job. Right? And now you're bored because you've done it forever. You know exactly how to do it. So you could attend that the same way you attend practice where you see if you can break through into the next layer of exploration by staying with it full on. Right? That's the key. So boredom and practice is also use, all, only useful when you do the practice well. So let's say you're saying five minutes a day, super vigorous movement. Um, if you do three minutes half-assed, you're never going to get to the next level. Right. But if you do the five minutes a day full on and you're bored as hell, you'll pop through. And the same could be applied to a job. Right. I see you and I just want to finish this particular thing. So, uh, so you could see boredom as a catalyst for fuller engagement or getting out. Right. So it's one or the other. There's, of course, also the option that is within fuller engagement is that you change the habit patterns around the activity so it creates fresh pathways in the brain which potentially gets you out of the rut. Right. So that, those are my thoughts on boredom. But boredom in regular life um, doesn't, doesn't apply, the same principles don't apply to boredom in everyday life. I do on occasion when, um, you know, I have uh, had like a, a long spurt of really heavy, heavy work or, or some specific engagement, I will spend a few days doing so little that I get bored. And in that, and I get bored very easily, <laughs> right? And I'm, I'm really good at um, entertaining myself. So what I do then is I don't entertain myself. I just sit about, right? And I just, you know, I have a nap and then I sit around and then I eat something and then I sit around some more. And then by, you know, the afternoon, I'm like wanting to poke my eye out with a stick or something like that. And I stick with that till the boredom has relaxed my nervous system. Because in that case, the boredom isn't actually boredom. It's a momentum that I haven't lived out or curbed yet. Right? And 
for my nervous system to step down when it can, it's really important to let myself run into that boredom as a way to de-escalate. Correct. I never get that drop because I'm endlessly good at entertaining myself and I have a vast backlog of things I want to read or do or craft or garden or whatever. And when I can, which is not very often, but when I can, I'll back myself into that particular corner of the boredom so my nervous system steps down. And when it's stepped down, then I can start again. I use it as a tool, yeah. Okay. That's different than the boredom in practice, but just for completion's sake, that's another way to look at boredom, is you can use boredom as a sign that you are not distracting yourself, so to speak, if you're working with something. And that's, by the way, what they do in retreats, right? When, they, when you go on a retreat, let's say on a meditation retreat or something, they essentially force you to step down. And that creates massive boredom and massive irritation and or, right? Yeah, or anxiety, yeah. That falls in the irritation category, yeah. So, so that's another take on boredom. For me, the thing that I do every single day without fail is I do moving what I'm feeling. And that's also what everybody has to start with who studies with me in any long-term capacity. So you put a song on and you, for the duration of that song, move with whatever your body feels. And that's fairly sustainable because, you know, you can have a two, three-minute song. Um, you can squeeze that in with kids and whatever. And I often, when I don't have time for that because we're on the road, I do it in the shower. I uh, put my conditioner on and then I move what I'm feeling <laughs> and then I rinse, right? Yeah. That's like the last resort when it gets really, really busy. A good daily practice would be something you can sustain in the midst of a busy life. That's super, super important. So one would be um, moving what you're feeling, which is probably the best to start with because it combines a few things. And all of them you've done in various forms this weekend, right? It sensitizes you to your body. And it sensitizes you to your body in a way that you can feel and translate what's happening inside. And this has many benefits. I'm going to list a few, right? Benefit number one, when something happens, you actually know it's happening, Versus knowing it happened three hours later when you go, wait a minute, that wasn't okay, right? So you have instant feedback from your body, which leads to instant um, boundary setting or course correction. Because you don't have that lag that a lot of people have, right? It filters up immediately. So that's one. Another one is responsiveness, sensual and sexual responsiveness, meaning you feel something and it immediately translates into a response. So it's not like you eat something and it's like, oh, that was good. It's like, mm, right? Mm -hmm. And that, of course, is useful when we talk about pleasure, internal pleasure, external pleasure, those kind of things. It also awakens your senses because suddenly every sense gives you input and that input produces an immediate moving what you're feeling. 
right? And then third, um, it brings your intuition online because intuition is nothing else but distinctions that your body has that are noted and then made known, right? And when you don't hear what's happening in there or don't translate it, your intuition doesn't come fully online. You don't trust it, right? But with moving what you're feeling, you're sensitizing yourself to your body. That's one aspect. Other aspect is that um, we've done this a little bit with the hip movement, which would be the other practice you could play with, is that the energy goes from the head into the lower body, which once again enlivens the body, um, is the precursor to pleasure, makes pleasure easier to locate, um, take some of that tension away, and connects you with the power center. So all of that happens in moving what you're feeling, and it happens in the hip circles as well. When you do the hip movement, you know, that same thing happens. So that would be a good first step. And um, it's super simple. You can also do it in a nonlinear format where you're on hands and knees, uh, if that's nicer for you. Um, where are you? Where you were saying you pop out of your body. So that would, on hands and knees, would probably be the way to go then because that makes it so you, you actually can't really pop out uh, because you're like, let's hunker down. And uh, again, you can do it with music or without music. Um, music sometimes helps because it evokes something and then you get going and then you just move from feeling to feeling. So that would be a, a, good, a good first easy step. Yeah. Well, there's a few options, right? So I'll, I'll talk about the general way that you can do that, right? As you said so rightly, we learn by resonating with other women's bodies, right? We assimilate, right? And, and that's how it's always been done. You learned from your elders and the women around you and everything um, was demonstrated. So it's super useful to do that. And it's not always easy. And also there is a fairly strong dilution of these things because most people aren't that expressed anymore mm -hmm. and not willing to play that much anymore. Right. Um, so, but, but from a concept standpoint, it's very important. So one of the things I do personally, and one of the things that I also put in the online course, um, you know, I created the six months online course that goes from, you're in there, right? So um, you're in the new one. Yes. Yeah, so in months... Six, you get specifics on that, but I'll give them to you now. So, because I still do this all the time. This brings us back to Game of Thrones. <laughs> so what you do is you find clips of women who, like actual video clips or movies of women, of scenes that evoke things in your body that you don't have naturally or want to play with. And you put that up on screen and you start moving with that and in response to that. And so even if you don't have access to a lot of women, you can do it right there with a representation that's pretty full on. Because, of course, in a TV show or whatever, there's no stopping and starting and is this OK or whatever. It's this full on thing. So you essentially merge with that character 
and then, which is, by the way, a form of deity yoga, right? You just merge with that character, and you become that character through your body, and then that informs your body and makes your body wider. If you curate, like, little scenes, right, that... Do this that evokes something, and then you watch it, and then you move it, and then you move as it. Mm-hmm. That's super useful, mm-hmm. and you can endlessly amuse yourself. Mm-hmm. You can pick flavors that are medicine, mm-hmm. flavors that are nourishing, mm-hmm. uh, uncomfortable flavors, comfortable flavors. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing that I do um, regularly. Mm-hmm. Um, Another thing that I used to do no longer because I don't have time, but I used to go when we were in other places in the world and we'd go out uh, dancing in the evening. Mm. And I would just move as other women. Right? I'd just go on a dance floor and you know, there doesn't have to be crazy interaction. And I'd go, oh, this is interesting. You know, she had a very different texture. I remember I did this once in Denmark, in Copenhagen. And everybody was like freakishly tall and blonde and very cool and, you know, Vikingish. And there was me, right? And, and so, so it was really interesting um, to play with that. So those are some things you can do. Another one, because I, I love these things endlessly, is you can merge with nature. So you can move as the wind in those prayer flags, right? Mm-hmm. Or you can move as that olive tree being moved by the wind. Mm-hmm. Or, uh, you know, the ripple of the water when the turtles play in it. Mm-hmm. Or as a turtle. Yes. Or as uh, a thunderstorm or whatever. So you can engage with your body as the flavors of nature. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, those are some options. Yeah. yeah. And I'm planning in the fall, in the later fall, I'm going to do a five-day here. That's elemental practice. Yes. And because I'm creating an online elemental as well, and so I'm like so into the elements right now. 